Everything Comes From Something is an unoriginal podcast about unoriginality because everything truly does come from something. I'm one of your hosts, Isaac Ransom. I'm Cameron Tuttle. And we are so glad that you are here joining us, listening to the show. If you'd like to support us, subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and share the show with your friends and family. If you have a couple bucks to throw our way, you can check us out at patreon.com slash ecfspodcast. And with no further ado, welcome to the show. What's up with the banjo? Okay. It's got one, like, think about this. It has that one, like, higher string that's above the rest of the three strings. It only has four strings, but one of them is much higher and it starts, like, halfway down the, the banjo. Do you think anyone's favorite instrument in the whole world is the banjo? No, absolutely no one. I, I mean, I can see, like, obscure instrument choices. Ooh, I love the French horn. I've I tried love... to play it. It's. I've never held a well-crafted banjo. Mm, I think mm, that mm. might be part of the issue. Yeah. But the fact that the, it, it's, it, it is very odd. I mean, if you play guitar, the strings are in order, like in an octave sense, where yeah, it's yeah. like the top string is much lower than the lower string uh, in, in in terms of an octave. But like the banjo, the, you're right. The top string is higher, right? It is the highest. Isn't string, yeah. the string shorter too? Yes, yes. It Ew. starts like halfway through the through the guitar. You know, I had this incredible realization the other day. Cameron, you know I'm not a very skilled musician oh, by any means. By, well, by any means. I, I can play a guitar and I can try to make it sound in place, but I had this incredible realization. I'm, I'm shopping for a new electric guitar currently and I've been playing a lot of guitars in music stores and I, I find myself playing a lot of chords, trying to play stuff that I would actually play in a live set. For those of you that don't know, I, I play at a church, so it's like, I'm not saying that I'm playing church music, but I play a lot of chords. I like to hear the tonal sounds of the guitar. Everyone else in a music store that plays a guitar is shredding terribly. <laughs> or, 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 shredding, yeah, that's true. or shredding good, but it's like, it sounds like bumblebees in my head. You know, mm. it's like... And I'm like, dude, I don't know what it was, but I had this realization where I'm like, what I'm playing out of this amp is not obnoxious. Mm, it's like, mm. I am like letting chords ring out. I'm bringing some ambient sound, you know, it's like, this is, I'm, I may not be a good musician, but at least it's, you know, enjoyable to hear. <laughs> you know, the, a guitar store really is like the definition of, of people peacocking, you know, about this term. Peacocking is like when you try to like strut, you know, you're oh, like, yeah, you're, you know, th th that's all that people do at a guitar store. It's really upsetting, actually. The guy, uh, there was this video, I think Jared Dines released on YouTube a long time ago about like people in a guitar store. Mm -hmm. And there's like one of the characters in that video. The guy was like the guy who th thinks he knows way more than everyone else, including the employees at the store. <laughs> Granted, I don't, I'm going to be honest. I don't know everything, but there have been moments where I was like, hey, like, can you tell me about this guitar or why does this guitar here? And the employee has no idea what he, what I'm talking about. What, was it at Guitar Center? Yeah. Because Guitar Center is terrible. <laughs> yeah. I've had good experiences and bad. Like I've had some Guitar Center employees like actually I'm like, oh, you're a musician. I can tell. Yeah. You yeah. know, and other ones just this last time I was there, I was like, hey, what's the, what's the deal with this um, limited edition Fender guitar that I'm looking at? Like I've never seen this color before. Like how do you guys carry that? I haven't seen it on the website. And he just looked at me and said, yeah, we can we can order that for you, and I was like, 
no like you guys have one here like i looked at him i was like you have one here like how did you get it and he was like we can order that for you i was like he just wants to make his commission am i talking to a robot i i don't understand (laughs) it's very confusing i don't know i always i always think guitar center employees are the most like a they don't care about their job and b they really kind of don't want you to be there (laughs) it's like the most out of any store that i go to yeah yeah i mean uh, like i said i have i have talked to some employees at a guitar shop or at a guitar center that are pretty cool yeah they're pretty awesome but it does seem like there are a lot of employees there that don't know what they're talking about. Just like when we talk about history on this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Everything Comes From Something, episode 58. My name is Isaac Ransom, the gunslinger of the Wild West. And my name is Billy the Kid Cameron Tuttle. <laughs> that is a horrible, Cameron. How do you have four names? Billy the Kid Cameron Tuttle. Granted, a lot of the Dude, people... Dude, all these people have weird names. I, like, shortened a lot of the names I wrote down in my notes about mm-hmm. the Wild West. This episode is all about the Wild West and the frontier during the 1800s of American history. Mm. That's right. Everything Comes From Something is just... A podcast about really whatever the heck Cameron and I want it to be about. Yeah. But we do have a lot of episodes that come from a historical background. Cameron and I, we are appreciators of history. We are no experts, but we spent some time to do some research to talk about the Wild West, talk about, sort of like reflect on what this time period is about. But I got, I got a bone to pick right now, Cameron. Who, with me? Not with you, with our Patreons. Oh. First of all, huge shout out to Andrew Sides. I don't know if I shouted him out, but he is one of our newer Patreon members. I love you, Andrew. He supports the show. He listens to it all the time. Thank you for sending a couple bucks our way. But guys, come on. I know we give you an exclusive episode every month at the end of the month. But I also send you guys messages on Patreon. Nobody is ever asking questions for the show. So I got to take questions from this homeless guy named Tim Smith who's out on the street. You know, like Tim, he's been on the show a few times, a little scared, but um, he's not even in our community. He's not even like a Patreon member, you know? So what if he's been on the show? (laughs) Friggin' Tim Smith, you know what I'm saying? I know, right? He's like one of the few guys that always ask me about the show every week. So I'm just kidding. I love Tim. He's a great guy. Um, so we took his question seriously because none of our Patreon members are asking us questions. This Dang. is just a message for you. If you support us on Patreon, ask us some questions. You can have it read on the air. Maybe we should, we, maybe we should find out what the best way is to, to take the questions. Cause I, I actually understand part of this. I, I don't support anybody on Patreon right now, but back when I did, I basically never logged into Patreon. Yeah, no, I get it too. So, you know, it's like it's like you sign up once and then you, you just kind of leave it. I just want them to get their money's worth. No, you know? I get it. I get it. I feel bad. I feel bad about it. So ask your questions. Tim Smith's question is, hey, what the heck, guys? Why don't you do anything about history? Shut your freaking mouth, Tim. This is a history episode. Today's the day. So just enjoy it. It's a big old yee-haw. <laughs> That's right. Today, a majority of the research that we took is a casual viewing of Wikipedia, but also I got a overview of the Wild West from an encyclopedia. I think it was encyclopedia.com. It collaborates a bunch of different 
information and, and research. Um, so what we're going to do today is sort of give an overview of what the Wild West is, maybe some misconceptions, tell some stories, and make fun of some history. Yeah. But that's what our history podcasts Yeehaw. are usually about. We're, we're going to have- take our horse to the Old Town Road. <laughs> Shut up, kid. <laughs> You're killing me, dude. You're killing me. <laughs> Technically, the Wild West, the Great Frontier, starts in 1750 to 1890. It's a long stretch of time. It kind of is like this muddy period that encaptures a bit of the frontier era, people moving west from the East Coast into the Western realm. I think the gold rush is probably what really pushed the Wild West to expand rapidly then industrialize and die well the well i'll say uh lewis and clark um their their exploration of what was at that point the west which was basically you know um east of the mississippi river but their exploration kind of cemented uh the feeling of exploration the feeling of westward expansion um in you know around the the early 1800s um, and then after the the Spanish American War, uh, or the sorry the Mexican American War, um, we uh, there was there was a lot of land that we had access to that we didn't have before, um, including was, California and um, New Mexico. Yeah, what was then? There was also the Louisiana Louisiana Purchase before that. That was in eighteen twelve, and that's what I was saying. The um, so Lewis and Clark they were. Uh, they were exploring the Louisiana purchase. Um, and, and you got to think like that was before there was any, there was there, they were basically backpacking. Yeah. There was n- absolutely no infrastructure. There was nothing that they had to go off of. So, um, you know, their, their mapping of, of mountain ranges and of rivers was really actually very important for, to set up the, um, the movement westward. Did they make it all the way out to the West Coast? No. Uh, actually, I, I don't know. I don't believe they did. I don't know why I had this misconception that I thought they did. I We could be incorrect. Cameron, are you going to cross-check that right now? I don't know. One of my favorite things to think about the frontiers, because Cameron and I, we live on the West Coast, and it's so gorgeous out here. We live in the Bay Area. Um, I always think or dream about what it would look like to look over this valley without any city, without any road, just how different it would be to oversee like what it looks like. And I don't know where you live personally, but it's sort of a fun exercise to kind of look out and say, man, I wonder what this would look like if it was just all nature, right? What would these explorers find and see and think of what they've discovered? You go to national parks like Yosemite and just probably the awe that these explorers were experiencing when they were navigating through these valleys right or even how long did it take for these people to stumble across these incredible pieces of nature right i i think it's just a fun exercise to think about in your mind um so yeah they did actually get to the pacific ocean and i was i was wrong on my date um the louisiana purchase was 1803 Oh. Um, I knew you knew it was enough. before close the um, Mexican American War, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but we're not really talking about the wars. Um, there is a huge war that I think impacts sort of the societal culture of the Wild West, and that's the American Civil War. Um, what was the dates on the Civil War? Eighteen sixty 1860 to eighteen sixty-five. 
Yeah. So a five-year war. But one of the things that I noticed is that while I was reading through the encyclopedia about the Wild West is there is this reoccurring theme of rampant violence and a lack of infrastructure in the Wild West, which is where our romanticized vision of the Wild West is birthed from, right? And it sort of stems from the Civil War, this five-year period. One of the characters I'm going to be talking about towards the end of the podcast, his name is Wes Harden, but his origin starts with being exposed to the Civil War and being surrounded by violence, and that carries into his adult life. And so violence is almost normalized in this explorative time for America. And there's really not much that can be done until civilization grows out in the West. And I think that's what makes this time period so fascinating is that it's like there is there is a lawlessness. And a lot of scholars talk about the I'm What am I saying? Romanticization. Thank you. The romanticization of the Wild West, but... It's like, even in this encyclopedia that I was reading, it was like, you know, the Wild West is, is quite over, you know, overexplored and, and, and treated like mythology. Um, and it really wasn't like that for everyone. Yeah. And I understand that this is true for day-to-day life for most people. But it's like the encyclopedia contradicts itself when it starts telling stories about what was going on over there. And sure, they could be one-off stories, but it's just crazy. The, the sort of events and things that surround the Wild West. So what I want to get into right now is sort of a blanket overview of what caused this vast rush out to Western coastlines. And it starts with sort of two industries. The first being the gold rush, which happens um, kind of between 1849 and 1850. Um, the first gold is found in Sacramento Valley in California pretty close to home we've both been there to the american river where it was found yes i think i've been there i I actually don't know if i've been there i'm pretty sure i've been there though yeah we we vacationed there one one year it was it was really interesting to see like and they still have the old sort of like um gold panning uh ghost towns um set up it's 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 a really interesting yeah little exploration so a year before the gold rush this guy named james marshall um in January of 1848, discovers gold in what's called uh, Sutter's Mill, which is on the American River, Mm -hmm. right, that we were talking about. And this sparks this rush uh, for gold. And I think most people have an understanding of what the gold rush is like, but most people don't consider or think about basically the economic culture and the societal weight of having all these people rush out randomly to try to strike rich. Something that was interestingly mentioned in the encyclopedia is the idea that most merchants made out better than the miners themselves that were looking oh, for yeah. gold. Yeah, absolutely. Even the ones that found gold, the merchants were making money. Because we had you you had these camps basically spring up overnight of of tons of people coming to look for gold and merchants are put in this unique economic situation where they're like, these people need food. There's no infrastructure. There's no nothing. They need tools to to pan and to to wash off the uh, the the gold. They you know they they needed basically all of all of the in- infrastructure that wasn't out there. Um, and that's how that's how a ton of these merchants got rich. I yeah. mean, they were selling 
they were selling shovels and pans and you know all that stuff um so they set up shop right and it and i think the best analogy i can put for it is sort of like disneyland or or if you go to a sporting event or some sort of like state like concert something in a stadium that's confined basically these miners are in this town they're looking for gold they can't leave because they think it's in this spot right and the merchants are like twelve dollars for a bucket of french fries (laughs) sounds good right you know when you're in disneyland it's not like you have a choice really they're like where else are you gonna get food you're locked in the park if you leave you're missing time in the park you want to be here and we are gonna charge you way too much for food that is not even that good well and at least at first there was probably not very many uh people selling these like this equipment right so so it was it was also a um it, it was a non it was a non competitive um, exchange, right? So there was only you know if there was only a handful of people who were selling these things, and there was scarcity um, because you know where else are you going to get them from? So so that's why the you know the prices were so so ballooning. And of course, you know probably more merchants began to move out to these camped or these camps or, you know, and, and infrastructure would build, but there's no law enforcement as well out there. There's no, it's, it all comes back to infrastructure, right? There's no governmental infrastructure. There's no town infrastructure. So what I find so fascinating is there is this reliance on necessity and pleasure right from the beginning in these mining towns, tons of bars, saloons, um, what, what is it called? Prostitution houses all these things popping up. So it's pleasure, pleasure, needs, needs, right? Food, sleeping, bathing, and then places where you can spend any money that you find, right? Um, And it just creates an environment that breeds lawlessness, which is interesting, right? Because we've we've been talking about the romanticization of, I'm going to butcher that word a hundred times this episode, of the Wild West, right? But the culture that starts breeds the lawlessness that we know from cowboy culture from western culture right and then society eventually catches up and kills what the western dream looks like right and i mean what's what i found most interesting was that a lot of the a lot of the stories that you hear a lot of the myths or the you know the legends of these famous quote-unquote gunslingers um they were all from that era where where the West was actually becoming civilized. The West was becoming less of a sort of lawless, um, uh, you know, a, a place of of complete anarchy into a time of like transition into into the modern era. Um, and and so like you 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 know you keep running into these names that you know you know B- Billy the Kid and uh, Wyatt Earp and stuff like that and and they were all around you know the 1880s 1890s when they, when you know when they were living high so I don't know I find that really interesting that that was the time where the West was as as the sort of mythos goes the the West was um, declining and becoming more more civilized do you think that the development of a civilized culture breeded an opportunity for people to sort of record and actually keep track of what was happening with some of these criminals it could be because like the way these societies are set up i don't doubt that this you know that these crazy stories didn't exist back then but it just seems like the 
amount of space for the amount of people that existed was so disproportionate that it was hard to keep track of what was even going on out there. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Although I also, you know, I I've, I did some reading on like what it was like originally when when they would when they would leave, and and a lot of these wagon trains would have, um, they they would essentially have, um codes like rules that if you followed if you didn't follow them like if they if you if you stole something or if you got violent they would just kick you out of the wagon train you know yeah. so so like originally they had a sense of because it was you know these these i guess what you might say more civilized people or people who were from um you know the the urban areas in you know in the east they were coming and they had this um I guess sense of uh, sense uh, like a coded sense of honor. Yeah, there's a mix of characters coming out to the West, right? You have people searching for wealth in a good way, right? Looking for prosperity and opportunity in the future as they move out to the West, and then you have criminals, outcasts, and other people just running from any sort of responsibility or law rushing out to the west because they just they can't be found and when those two things meet it usually results in some level of violence i was in the encyclopedia they were mentioning how everyone was carrying a gun gun was a a gun was survival right and then you have this post-culture um in the civil war that breeds to also violence it just it just leads to a a violent society over in the west right and I, i i almost laughed to myself because we live in California, but the West, like the wild West California is a total mess. The West coast, California, it's just crazy. Just reading about San Francisco, right? Um, we know it as a city Cameron. you live there now. Yeah. I'm not saying it's the best place in the world. It's still pure anarchy, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was a port town during, during the wild West. And they had this huge issue with crime out there because, Nations like Australia and Nicaragua. No, wait. Nicaragua? (laughs) I don't... Yeah, yeah, Nicaragua. Uh, They would send convicts out over to California just because they're at capacity. If you don't know, Australia was a penal colony for England for a long time, so a lot of criminals would go over there. But I guess they'd just start shipping them to uh, San, <laughs> San Francisco. Francisco. They were they they just they were out of space, right? And one of the famous gangs that came out of that is a group, an, an Australian gang called the Sydney Ducks. What's weird is that they're not really Australian. They come from Ireland, um, and they were then imprisoned over in Australia, what cracks me up about it is this gang is known well this doesn't crack me up they're known for arson right and they eventually start causing a lot of havoc in san francisco but their existence came when they migrated from ireland because of the great potato famine which is just to me even though it's super messed up that i laugh about it one of the funniest famines in the world um just because you know Uh, basically a nation falls apart because they run out of potatoes it's the only thing they can grow on ireland um it's a little bit more complicated than that i mean there were definitely it originally there was there was a shortage also because because of uh essentially british uh the british government was was not really into helping the the irish um out of this potato family fam 
family famine um so there was you know there it's a little more complicated but yes people a lot of people died because they ran out of potatoes <laughs> anyways what i think is so detrimental to this gang being hated in san francisco um is the fact that most irish immigrants coming into america were really disliked by natives at the time um the irish were just sort of despised at least during this time frame and i'm assuming that this gang did not help that stereotype as a matter of fact san francisco the san francisco population eventually created this group to kind of counteract the sydney ducks um, and they created something called the Committee of Vigilantes in 1851. And it was a group of like 700 people. And in their document or doctrine, they had this call to hang this guy named John Jenkins, who was a part of the Sydney Ducks. It was this whole committee that was created almost to work in line with government, um, to abuse some powers of the government that sort of existed in San Francisco just to get rid of this gang that was causing a ton of issues. Um, the Sydney Ducks were blamed for some arson in, in San Francisco, and they were also known for a big robbery that happened at a retail store in 1851. But this, like, counter-committee of, of 700 citizens put put an end to the gang. Yeah. Um, and the reason I want to highlight that is just to kind of show the difference between this civilized class of people that came out for prosperity and adventure versus a group of criminals that are forced into a situation and taking advantage of it right um and then seeing how it flips how society's like be civilized be civilized or we hunt you down Mm. and this theme is glorified in the mythology of what western uh culture is looked at now or western history is looked at now yeah i think i mean one of the interesting things that i was reading about was um Basically, originally when when the gold rush was happening, a lot of miners and a lot of people who you know who who went out west, um, I mean, obviously they they in order to protect their their property, they needed some help. So they yeah. they would hire they would contract essentially their own policemen. Um, I mean, they weren't strictly speaking policemen, but but basically you know this this comes from. Uh, uh, this comes from the independent. Um, let's see. The mining camps hired enforcement specialists, justices of the peace and arbitrators, and developed an extensive body of property and criminal law. As a result, there was very little violence and theft. The fact that the miners were usually armed also helps explain why crime was relatively infrequent. It's just interesting because they, they basically built up their own system. They built up their system of law um, before there was any government to to get out there you know like they had they had a they had a structure um and i i don't know it's it seems interesting that that these um the necessity like you were saying the necessity of of hiring people to to fend off you know thieves and attackers like i don't know it's it's a it's not something that that we ever have to think about in a way yeah, it's there's like this picture being painted of a society of people, tr- uh, people being uh, having what was it? You said peacocking in a guitar store, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, you, know, you have ways. it's like um, people being like, "Don't mess with me," right? Mm-hmm. Don't mess with me, or you'll 
basically get shot because everyone's holding a gun. Yeah. Right. And, and I've got my bodyguards that I've yeah, hired. and I've got my crew. Yeah. Um, which actually kind of leads us to what a cattle town is. Hmm. Um, I know that seems like a weird transition, but I want to talk about cowboys for a minute. You know, when you think of cowboy, you might be picturing Woody from Toy Story or um, howdy. Probably. I don't know. Red Dead Redemption cowboys. In reality, I think cowboys have been made into these great heroes of the West for these tales. But truthfully, they're kind of the dirt of what it was in the West. Yeah, I mean, they were like pretty low-end wage workers, essentially. They're still characterized as, you know, these dirty, lonely cattle herders. And rowdy, too. They're rough, independent, and they are known to be rowdy because of this thing called a cattle town which resulted from actually economic demand. But the reason I bring up crews is because these these cowboys would ride together to basically control a big group of cattle across country. For the longest time, and this blew my mind, I was sitting right next to Cameron, right? We were, we were reading about this. I was like, yeah, cowboys, they herd cows, right? They herd cows, they let them graze. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, wait, you know, why are cowboys hurting cows if there's a fence around the property, right? Or, okay, maybe they're just protecting them. And as I started to read about cowboys, it was like, okay, yeah, they're the protectors of the cattle. They make sure that they don't die. They make sure they don't get stolen. They they make sure they don't get caught in a sand trap. And it's like, okay, this, this makes sense, kind of. It seems excessive a little bit. But then I found out about after the Civil War... Cattle, the price of beef in the north had this large spike. There wasn't enough demand, and the invention of the railroad... Or its supply, you mean? Yeah, there wasn't enough supply, my bad. There's high demand. The invention of the railroad made it possible to bring cattle in from far away. It gave it an option to transport. And so now cattle herders have this opportunity to go out and claim large sections of land, raise lots of cows, and then bring it to a train station to be transported up north and get lots of money, right? And so suddenly cattle herding became a very profitable market or a very profitable place to start a business. But as I was thinking about cowboys, I realized their job, according to the encyclopedia, was actually to bring a huge herd of cows all the way across country to the nearest train station or the nearest cattle town that developed. Because there wasn't a ton of infrastructure in the West, you really did need to carry all these cows out somewhere. And some of the records about the amount of cows that survived these trips is insane. Mm. They would take like 3,500 cattle and only 700 would make it. Wow. Wow. Now you were saying, dude, that's probably really good beef. Probably. Right? Yeah. I don't, I don't doubt it. You know, these, these cows got to walk a long way, but they face tons of problems. These cowboys, they're, they're, they're basically out on the road for what they do 10 miles a day. And they're out there for three weeks trying to bring these cattle all the way in the nearest railroad track but they come across issues uh there was native american tax things that would happen basically you go through certain territories and native americans would be like hey give us 10 percent of 
the amount and we'll let you through without a problem. Usually ended in a gunfight or <laughs> some sort of battle, right? They didn't want to give up money. Then you had issues with cattle herders in Texas moving up through states like um, Missouri and Kansas. There was a concern with other cattle herders that you were going to get diseases that would kill mm. off cows. So then you would get these cow slaughters where some gangs would go or some cowboy groups would go out and just shoot and kill as many cows as possible wow. and kill all the cowboys that would come up with those with those herds because they were like, we can't get these cows anywhere close. Wow. We don't want wow. them going through our section, right? Um, so this was a huge issue up until someone, I forget his name and I forget the town. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, he basically created a station in Texas, which was like a mega hub called the Cattle Town. Now think about it, right? You got these rough dudes... Out on the road for a long time, they come into a town, and it's the same situation as the mining town. A pleasure pursuit. You got drinks. You got clothes. You got equipment. You got girls. Yes, girls. There was like this huge section on cowboy dancing. Cowboys that dance. (laughs) Apparently, like, dancing with girls was something that was, like, very exciting for cowboys. They'd pay for them, and then there's prostitution side with it as well. Um, But it was, like, that was a huge cultural thing in these cattle towns. Um, You know, some people would go to church. Some people would just hang out in the saloons. The saloons were huge. Gambling was massive out there in the West. And it all revolved around this port for cattle to be shipped off and taken. Mm. And I just, I found it fascinating, right? These cowboys that we think usually just ride around with a horse and rifle and we're like, we are the cowboys really are, are doing a very difficult job. Yeah, Um, absolutely. It kind of reminds me of when you're thinking about some of these soldiers that go to boot camp and then they have those nights on the weekends where they get to come back to Mm, a certain town, you know, in San Diego or something, right? It's like the troops are in for the night, they get one night and they just they 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 eat it all up you know it's yeah, like this yeah, is yeah. the night to do whatever i can because who knows what's going to happen to me next on the road right, right. and you the, always hear about that what is that um called that's i can't remember there's like a specific term for it right when soldiers come back to oh i have to no the idea. town I, I can't remember i have no idea but yeah no that's that's actually a really good um good analogy it's exactly what it is yeah, so I just found it fascinating. So these basically these two industries, the the hype for gold and gold towns and then cattle towns really drove the modernization, the the growth of industry in the West and basically making the United States bloom into a more evenly spread out like civilized place. And this all happened over a 150 year period. Mm. But that doesn't mean that it happened overnight. You know, 150 years is a long time. I, I mean, I think 150 years for classifying the Western time is a little long. Truthfully, I kind of see it just between 1800 to 1900 is really where the West gets, you know, that Wild West feeling. And you're, you're talking about the death of the West kind of really bringing out the Cowboys. I'd say 18, probably 1848 is like the beginning. The gold rush. Yeah. yeah. Technically, I think they classify it with the frontier era, 1750 people moving out there just because it's still wild in the sense where it's like there's no one out there yeah and there's people carrying guns you know just trying to figure out what they're going to do and how they're going to survive yeah but it just this environment this lawlessness the frontier it breeds these stories that like you were saying cameron it's like it's mythology 
Yeah, it's poetic. It it's seriously poetic. And that's why we we still, you know, we still make movies about about the West. We still make movies about, I mean, not as much anymore, obviously. Yeah, but, yeah. But there's this sort of cultural history behind this. You know, it's this, it's this, it is the American mythos. You know, and and how perfect it is too to to go along with it. At least the the mythologized version is like, you know, these rough individual, you know, the, these rough individual guys would go out to to make make their own way. You know, and yeah. then and like that's that's totally the, I don't know. I feel like that's the that's the perfect example of of. Um, what you might say is the American dream in a lot of ways. Definitely. But um, speaking of cowboys, do you want to hear a story about about some some rough and rowdy ones? Let's do it. All right. So, <clears throat> I I I like I like a lot of these um, sort of mythologized stories exactly because what what you were saying is they're so in a lot of ways they're extremely cinematic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They're like so rife for. Um, for storytelling um and one of the most told mo and and most famous um confrontations was the gunfight at okay corral um and this involved a group of cowboys who um you know whether wrongly or rightly i mean a lot of the details we don't actually know um but you know we uh we, we know that there was there was an extreme um and deadly confrontation right outside of a uh um, I mean, it was essentially in the middle of a town. Yeah, called Tombstone, Arizona, and there's a movie uh, called Tombstone, which this is based on. So, really, um, yeah. If you if you want to if you want to see that, it's got Kurt, Kurt Russell. It's pretty good. I've seen it. I do like it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, there was a so there there was a a group of lawmen um, who were these. They weren't. It's very it's really complicated back then because the the lawmen quote unquote. Um, weren't really hired by anyone. They were kind of they. Sometimes they were just rented. You know, they they would be like, uh, what what we might describe as bounty hunters. Sometimes they might be just temporary policemen that that the county would hire. Um, but there was a so so um, Virgil Earp. Uh, he was the town marshal of of Tombstone, Arizona. Um, and he had a group of of you know temporary policemen. Um, including his brother Wyatt Earp, who's uh, very famous, um, and Doc Holliday, um, and he was uh, he he was um, investigating the train robbery that happened a couple months earlier, um, and so the, the he he believed that these um, the this train robbery uh, was happening because of a gang i mean it wasn't really a gang but a group of cowboys um called the mcglories and so they uh they, they really didn't like these cowboys who would come into town as you were saying right um they would be rowdy they would um you know they the the, the erps felt like these guys were were up to no good essentially um and so they started investigating these uh these cowboys for the um for the for a train robbery um and this eventually led to a um it eventually led to a trial and outside this trial um there was a 
conf- confrontation between um, Doc Holliday and one of the group called Ike Clanton. Um, and you're gonna you're gonna hear that a lot, by the way. Confrontation. <laughs> it's basically just you know these Western legends yelling at each other, shouting at each other. Oh, you know I'm way I'm a you think you're tough or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, exactly. It's it's always recorded in these history books. They had a verbal confrontation or they had a loud argument. It's like okay, yeah, we got it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so there was, there was some, there was some fighting, there was some rowdiness, um, and, uh, Ike Clanton was, was up for this court hearing, right, um, to, to testify on behalf of this, um, train robbery. And outside the courthouse, um, there, uh, Doc Holliday, I believe. I think he's my favorite character in the movie. Doc Holliday? Isn't he in the movie Tombstone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He is. I don't remember who who plays him. I think it's the drug. Is it the drug addict guy? What drug addict? Who, there's one guy who's like got huge bags under his eyes, always gambling and drinking. In the movie Tombstone. I don't remember. I don't remember the name of him, but it, he's great in the movie. Well, in any case, um, they were uh, the the Earps and the McLaurys were outside of this courthouse, um, and one of them saw that. Uh, that Tom McClory had a concealed pistol in his in his waist pocket, and so uh, Virgil Earp, who was at this time the the marshal, the town marshal, um, takes out his pistol and and pistol whips the guy, beats him in the head, um, and and so he goes down in front of this courthouse, um, and then they go off and they get the doctors, obviously, um, and they start. They start drinking. Uh, these cowboys. They start drinking after one of them got hit in the head. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. So around one thirty or two, after Tom had been pistol whipped, um, they went and uh, got some more cowboys, and some of them went up into the uh, the gun store, and uh, Doc Holliday sees them outside the gun store, essentially like fixing their bandoliers, right. like they're like they're getting ready for a fight. Um, and so, yeah, so, so they, they see, uh, a bunch of these, um, these cowboys at Spangenberger's gun, gun and hardware store on fourth street, filling their guns with belts and cartridges. Um, so, you know, after this, this whole incident, um, the county sheriff, who was a friend of the cowboys, um, he tries to, to get things to calm down. Right. So he's, he, um, he goes to the cowboys and tries to disarm them, uh, but is obviously very, <laughs> unsuccessful. very unsuccessful. Yeah. Um, and so, so citizens reported to Virgil, who's the uh, the marshal, um, that the cowboys had been moving and and were were leaving their stable and entering town um, while armed, which was actually in. Uh, they they were they weren't supposed to be armed in town. So there right. was there was a city ordinance that you couldn't you couldn't have a gun unless you you had a strict permit. Most yeah, most of these towns seems like confrontation starts with people being like, "Hey, you can't have that gun here." Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're in town, no gun, nothing yep. like that. So, so, um, Virgil Earp, he wasn't expecting a fight. He was just expecting to go over. Um, disarm them because they were in the city with guns, uh, but they had been drinking. There was um, 
It was not going to go out with uh, without some guns blazing. So um, when Virgil saw the Cowboys, he testified. He immediately uh, commanded the Cowboys to throw up your hands. I want your guns. Um, and uh, so if they saw... Um, Frank McGlory and Bill, Billy Clanton draw and cock their single-action six-shot revolvers. Virgil yelled, hold, I don't mean that. I don't want that. And um, so uh, after this, they uh, the, the two shots, the Clantons and, um, let's see, so Wyatt testified, Billy Clanton leveled his pistol at me, but I did not aim at him. I knew that Frank McGlory had the reputation of being a good shot and a dangerous man, so I aimed at Frank McClory. Um, so Billy Clanton shoots and Virgil shoots, uh, shoots McClory because he's a good shot, obviously. Yeah. Um, and so they, they, they fight. There's, uh, two of them are dead. Two of the Cowboys, uh, die. One of them has, um, fatal wounds and, um, Morgan, Morgan Earp, who, I didn't introduce, but... Wait, their name... The Earp Brothers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like six of them. Earp. Earp. <laughs> the Earp Brothers. Um, yeah, I feel like I just kind of hate them, too. With the last name Earp, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah, they were just trying to... They were just trying to uh, to, to save the town, though. Um, so both Wyatt and Virgil uh, believe that Tom McClory was armed um, and testified that he had fired at least one of the shots over the back of a horse... Uh, Billy Clanton and Frank McClory exchanged gunfire with the lawmen. During the gunfight, Doc Holliday was bruised by a bullet fired by Frank that struck struck his holster and grazed his hip. Virgil was shot through the calf, um, probably by Billy Clanton, and uh, Morgan was struck across the shoulder. But Wyatt Earp, he didn't get shot. So he, he came out clean. None of the Earps died? No, uh, no none of the Earps died then. Those but, are the sheriffs. Or yes. the, the lawmen. Yeah. But... Um, a couple months later, this wasn't the end. Yeah. So a couple months well, later. Well, it's like the movie actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, a couple months later, they, uh, some, some people or some of the cowboys, um, I think they shot Morgan Arp. Um, I want to get that right. Hold on. No problem. Oh, they, so they attempted to shoot, um, Virgil. Uh, but he he got away, uh, and they and they killed um, Morgan Earp. Uh, they shot they shot through a window um, at night, so they they you couldn't see him on the outside, but they could see him. Yeah. Um. So they shot through a window, um, and um, Wyatt and Virgil did not like that. So they, the lawman uh, the lawman didn't like it. The lawman obviously. Um. So they went out. And re- and rode and rode, um, and basically hunted each one of these cowboys down one by one. <laughs> um, and I won't go into the details because it's kind of long. But it's so cinematic, it became a movie. It's insane. It's insane. Like, like imagine this this like tense town situation <sighs> with the lawmen and these cowboys. You think they're all that, right? Yeah. And then it just continues to escalate, es- escalates and escalates, and then they go and they hunt from them for them like one by one. It's just like so. I mean, this is this is why it's the stuff of legend. Yeah, you know? it's intense, man. It really is. Seriously, I got a guy I want to talk about. Yeah, go for it. I'll do it pretty quickly. 
His name is Wes Harden, and, and the reason I wanted to bring him up is, one, because he was one of the few guys I stumbled on, and I was so fascinated by his story as I was reading about it. This guy's a crazy dude. He's just a like a, a bloodthirsty killer in the Wild West, and so much of his story revolves around the fact that he kind of had a, rough, uh, a weird upbringing. He was bad in school. His dad was this Methodist preacher, and then he experienced the trauma of the Civil War. But he was on the south side. They lost, and he just, at 14 years old, vows to take on revenge for anyone in the north. And it's kind of off-putting. He's a crazy guy, as we're going to get into. This guy, Wes Harden, lived from uh, 1853 to 1895. Good old Wes. He's a nutcase. Let's talk about it for a second. So, of course, he wants to kill any northerners he meets. He ends up killing an ex-slave, and then there are some Union soldiers that come after him, but he ambushes them and kills three of them. And at this point, he's like, I got to run to the West. He's 14. He's a kid. He's a crazy kid, too. And um, then he becomes a cattle herder, but he's also a killer. So, like we were talking about, these cowboys, he's riding out with a group, and he's just killing people that get in the way because it's a vicious place when you're trying to get these cattle to the to the train station but it's like anyone who tries to steal my cattle dead anybody that comes in contact with it dead 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 he's psycho you know Wes you know you gotta gotta protect your herd I guess so I guess he got tired of being a crazy person a little bit later in life and decide decided he was gonna get married and have a wife on a farm and so that's what he does (laughs) um but you know, all that killing is starting to get to his head because he ends up killing two lawmen and a gambler uh, while he's drunk in town and he gets thrown in jail. Um, then he escapes and, you know, I kind of I feel, I don't know who would want to marry this psychopath, <laughs> um, but I don't think he goes back to his wife at all. Um, I could be wrong. It says he escapes and uh, is then caught by three random guys um, that the, it said lawmen in quotes. So I, I think they were like, we are the law and we've kidnapped you. I just picture the three stooges really thinking that they got it. Uh, eventually Wes kills them with their own guns. Um, he is very vicious. And then he goes and gets hammered in town. Um, <laughs> this is a reoccurring theme. He constantly kills and then gets drunk. Um, and, and at that point he's on the run cause he ran from jail and then he runs into his cousin, the Cl- the Clements, the, fa- the, fa- the family name, the Clements. I don't know if they have any historical significance, but that is the name. Um, and there he is put in charge of a cattle crew, and he becomes this vicious manager. He had already been doing cowboy work. Now he is in charge of it, and people don't like him as manager. He ends up killing some of his own crew because he thinks that they are trying to steal cattle He's very hard about it all, and he's living a lifestyle with a different name. He gives himself a different name mm, in town. Yeah. Like he has a a uh, a. The name's Jim Milton. What's yeah? What what's it called? An alter ego? No, it's um, it's something. I can't think of the term. Anyways, he's under a different name. Then, one day when he's hanging out with his cousin, they go into town and they meet this guy named Wild Bill Hancock. And he has a cool picture on uh, Wikipedia that I looked at. He's got like this flat hat and a really long handlebar mustache and long hair. They all had a huge handlebar mustaches. No, but this one was like stringy, like like almost Viking-esque. I was like, this is pretty cool. I like this guy. Mm, mm. So Wild Bill and Wes Harden, 
he's going under a different name, but they have this super weird standoff in town. No guns in town. Same story, right? No guns in town? No guns in town. Wild Bill walks up to him and says, no guns in town. Wes pulls out his guns, points the handles towards Wild Bill. He's like, here, take them. And then he flips them really quick and points both barrels at Wild Bill's face. And so then they're just standing there holding guns to each other's heads. And there's they don't like each other. You know, Harden sees that Bill is a Yankee, right? He comes from that that past, right? But they don't shoot. They just hold off for a second, and there's like this mutual respect. Wild Bill's like, all right, all right, I see how it is. And they just kind of walk away. There's there's nothing nothing happens until that night. Mm. This is this guy's nuts. Wes is nuts. Of course, out drinking with his cousin. Then they decide to stay in this hotel. This is where Wes becomes the biggest a hole in the West. <laughs> All right, people people refer to Wes as he's so mean that he killed the snoring man. And this is the story about it. There's this guy sleeping next door in the same hotel, and Wes and his cousin they're drunk. They're in their whatever the undies that you know Marty McFly wears in Back <laughs> to the Future Three. Little jumpsuit thingies. What are those called? Uh, uh, long johns. Yeah, and they got like a poop hatch. That was always <laughs> very disturbing for me. Well, you gotta have a poop hatch. It's just such a unique design for clothing. I don't know what what else are you gonna do. Let's let's Cameron. I think we should bring back the poop hatch. I'm I, I'm somewhat in agreement with you, but we still have we've got the opposite of a poop hatch. What we've got a we've got a pee hole. Yeah, but it's like the utility of jeans and underwear. You know, they, they there is a way to have a pee hole through that. You know, yeah, that makes yeah, sense for sure. But but you the know, poop patch, it's a little. Yeah, I I see what you mean though. I don't know why it's been neglected all these years. I think I think maybe it's because, like you know, they they had to have the full body. The full body clothing, you know, so it wasn't that easy to take it off. Like, let's say if you had a shirt on, you had, you had. Was there a pee hatch in Long John's? No. Hmm. Who's who designed these clothes? Interesting. What did you do? <laughs> that that's a good question. <laughs> Maybe there was some way to sit and also utilize the poop hatch as a pee hatch. To be honest, I don't really want to think about it that much. Anyways. <laughs> Wes is super drunk. There's a guy in his room next door that's snoring. And it's recorded that Wes starts screaming at him. Flip over already, you know, like stop snoring. To the point where drunk, good old drunk Wes, he pulls out a gun and says, you know what? Screw it. And he shoots through the wall to try to wake up the guy and ends up shooting him and killing him instantly on the second shot or something. He shot multiple rounds into the side of the... I don't yeah. know what he was thinking. He was hammered. He was drunk. Suddenly, you know, him and his cousin are like, oh crap. We got to get out of this town. And they're drunk and in their underwear. So they open the window on the second floor of the hotel and they try to run. And the four lawmen, including Wild Bill, show up at the front <laughs> and they sprint out and leave. And I'm like, these guys, dude, they're crazy. They're just crazy dudes. But it's like there's something funny because you read his writings. He claims to have killed 47 people in his lifetime. Uh, in reality, the newspapers report 27. So there's, there's some variation in that story mm. it's not like there's someone there to record every single death count that he makes but yeah so he gets the name you know he's so mean that he killed the snoring man that's what that's what's up with Wes Hart. eventually uh he is 
arrested and put in prison for 25 years, this young man. And in prison, he studies law and theology, which is weird. Um, Then he gets out of prison uh, and he's like, "Uh, this is it. I will be a lawyer. And he gets tired of that and becomes an alcoholic again. (laughs) Good old Harden. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, And in his drunk years, I think he's in his 50s probably at this point because it's been 25 years since he's been in jail. Uh, he ends up meeting this man named John Selman Jr. Now, John Selman Jr., he is a marshal in this town. And uh, drunk Wes, thinking he's the king of the world and a vicious killer, beats him on the head with a pistol, another pistol whip action, and argues with him about how he's allowed to have a gun in, in public. Now, the Wild West has existed for a long time at this point, And everyone thinks that they are the biggest boy on the block kind mm. of and what i find interesting about the wild west is there's this connection to family and honor and and you compared it before we went on the show to like samurai culture yeah like the, an an honor culture where you know you lived by a moral code but it was very it was still very you know violent and and extreme in a lot of ways you know, Cameron and I finished Red Dead Redemption 2 recently. So good. And Wes is a legit crazy person. You know, you look at the character of Dutch, which is a fictionalized cowboy. He has this strange honor. If Wes could be put into a character in Red Dead Redemption 2, it would definitely be Micah. Like, this is Micah in, in this, yeah, in this yeah, story, for right? Sure. He's for a sure. crazy guy. He beats this guy on the head, this, this uh, 25... Uh, or... Is he's just this young lawman in this town, John Selman Jr. Well, guess what? There's a senior to that junior. John Selma Sr. is 56 years old, and he's a big boy on the block. This dad goes and finds Harden and says, "What did you do to my son?" You know, they get in this huge argument, and it ends. They're fighting in the street. It's in the afternoon. Wes thinks nothing of it. Wes goes into the saloon, starts playing dice, starts getting hammered. Towards the nighttime, John Selma Sr. kicks down the door. Wes doesn't even turn around. Just blows his brains off right there. Gun to the back of the head. Dead. And Hardin's legacy is over. August 19th, 1895. That's right. It's crazy. It's crazy. He is crazy. What are you going to do? That's a nutcase, dude. Yeah. That is a sad, crazy person. Yeah. No, that's so weird. It it is it is strange though because But it's like the culture embraced this crazy guy. But there's like two different versions of that, right? There's like the 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 well, there's Wyatt Earp and then there's the the what's his what's his name? Harden. Wes Harden. Wes Harden. Right? There's the there's the the guys who never learned how to how to how to be civilized, who never learned how to be, you know, how to be honorable people, and then there's the Wyatt Earps who, you know, maybe made some some bad decisions, maybe did things out of vengeance a little too often, but who ended up, you know, he, he was by the end of his life he he you know consulted on on in Los Angeles on. Uh, silent westerns 
Like he, you know, he was an honorary sheriff of the San Bernardino County in 1920. You this know? is the lawman from your show, Tombstone. Yeah, that's crazy. He so he, you know, he, you know, he died in 1929. But wow, he he lived out his life normally. You know, he he basically moved on with the times. Yeah, as the West dies, we see this transition to a civilized society, right? Yeah. And what I love is that as law is being strictly enforced to tame the Wild West, former criminals are basically blackmailed or pushed into lawman roles to fight strength with strength. Mm. And that's where you get some of these really unique stories. And there is like a drive for justice even amongst some of the criminals. And then there's crazy people like Wes Harden who just... It's going to catch up with him someday. Yeah. You know, yeah. him doing those terrible things. And then suddenly there's this other hardened criminal that's like, the way you treated my son was wrong. I'm going to blow your brains out because no one's going to miss you. You know, like, it's like, dang, <laughs> dude, like it's vicious. Right. But it's also like Harden's a jerk, you know? Yeah. West West kind of had it coming for him. Right. And it but was only a matter of time before he met a bigger boy on the block. Right? I mean, it's the same reason why we like the stories of um, of gangsters and of, yeah, yeah, of you know, like these these almost like honorable antiheroes, antiheroes. Yeah, right? exactly. Where you're like, I think I think it it is a little bit different when you when it's not mythologized, right? But like this era is so is so mythologized that that seems you know him him going into the saloon and shooting him in the back of the head seems like the most justice that that was gonna happen in in some ways yeah you know and 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 even that like intellectually I know is wrong but on a gut level it's like he deserves it yeah yeah, yeah. In, in in some ways it's like and to think the dad is probably a terrible person too probably right? yeah, yeah john senior right like and the only reason he kills this guy is because he argued with his son and hit him on the head mm-hmm. but there's still more honor in him killing wes not knowing anything besides the fact that he beat his son yeah right it's it's weird it's really weird um and and quite poetic and like how you know i don't know how how come we like these these stories of um, terrible people who've done terrible things, but in a uh, in an honorable way. Well, you, you know, know what I mean. It's weird because I think a lot of people crave justice, mm. some form of justice. And I was watching the Hunger Games movies the other night. Kind of a series that's been forgotten. Besides middle school kids, I, I feel like middle school kids still love the Hunger Games movies and books. But that story is for young adults middle schoolers high schoolers right and when you look at it it's basically a question of moral justice right the first book asks the question okay you're going to make these kids fight in an arena and kill each other and then it's told through a perspective of one of the kids that's going to do that and yet there is a justice that is desired for the character who is now killing children who are their age at the same time and you're rooting for them but you're like wait i feel weird about this right and then as the movies proceed it actually becomes a political thriller about power and i don't mean to go on this tangent for too long but um i guess spoiler warning if you haven't seen the hunger games i'll i'm going to say the ending right now 
there's a character who leads a rebellion against the government in the Hunger Games. And by the end of the Hunger Games, the end of the last the last book, this is how, exactly how it ends. So if you don't want to know, don't listen. Probably just hit the 30 second skip. There is a trial of the president of the old government, which is a corrupt evil government. He has a public execution. He's held on a pole and the main character of the book is going to shoot an arrow in his head. But it's like the president of the rebellion has taken control of the government now, right? And she's almost just as corrupt. She's, basically, her thing is like, hey, we are going to do a new Hunger Games. And it's going to be only from the children of the people who supported the capital. You know? It was like, she's like, she basically like, the new government will hate the old government and punish all humans in the old government as well. Long tangent, I know. The, the spoiler is basically that Katniss ends up shooting the 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 new president who was leading the rebellion she kills her and also kills the old president it's like there it it there's this weird justice in that and it's it's visceral it's gross it's horrible but at the same time you're like yeah like i just those people are horrible and it's like i i think as you look at justice being depicted or acted upon you can always find some hint of like there's something right about this but yet there's something very wrong Mm. maybe the person delivering the justice shouldn't be the one delivering the justice Hmm. who is the one to deliver the justice right that's the big question and in the wild west everyone just gave themselves that badge that's what makes this time period so intense Hmm. that's what makes you know the the media and the stories revolving around this so intriguing i think and i think that's if you're looking at it on a majorly uh, on a majorly intellect intellectual level not just consuming entertainment in a sense you know what i'm saying yeah yeah well, well i don't know is there is there something to the fact that justice has to be has to be neutral can't be arbitrary has to be you know I don't know. In in a certain way, our own justice system is a version of frontier justice. You know, we we there's a jury, twelve normal people who get to decide your fate, get to decide whether or not you're you're guilty or or innocent, and and that's what we've that's what we've decided to do. And and the idea is that it's you it's a jury of your peers. It's it's the people who are you know presumably most affected by by you know whatever whatever these actions were. I don't know. It's it's interesting. Like it is. It it. it I don't know. I don't know. It's it's interesting to think about. It's a very it's a very much it's a a very a, like a larger question that this podcast can't answer or this time period can't answer. But it is a good. It's it's a good like mental exercise to almost consider and reflect on Mm. right Mm. something just popped in my head people love justice until it's justice for their own actions and i think the reason the wild west is exciting to look at is because we don't have any personal connection everybody from that era is dead nobody exists in that time frame anymore and yet you know, you look at a, the stories of gangsters, like modern 90s gangsters. Some of those tales are still kind of divisive, right? Mm. Glorifying and, and uh, 
and propping up heroes of L.A. Compton in the 90s can still be a little much because where is the justice in that? Because there's humanity in it, right? And sometimes it's them looking out for the family and the people they care about. But for what, right? Suddenly, the conversation of gangs and, and justice and something that's too close to what we know. It's like, oh, it's not entertaining anymore. It's It can be terrifying or disturbing. And yet, you know, there's still movies and stuff made about it. There's still, I mean, there still is something entertaining about it. Yeah, no, no. There's, there's definitely something entertaining about it, even though it's, even though it's close. I don't know. I think, I think we have a certain, I think, I think the adventure of it and as well as the peril of it is what makes it interesting to us. Why we, why we find it to be like escapist. Like, I think if you were living in it, I don't think you'd want to, you'd want to consume entertainment about it. You know what I mean? I don't think you'd want to. You'd want to watch a movie about it if, if you know, if they had movies back then. I, I just don't think, I don't think you would. It would be too real. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of get a, a theme of lesser of two evils in, in the justice in the West too. Yeah, definitely. Um, hey, you know, um, Wyatt Earp is buried at the Colma Cemetery, which is right outside of San Francisco. Really? I might go visit it today. You're going to go check it out? Yeah, maybe. Pay your respects? Pay my respects to Wyatt Earp. That's pretty awesome, actually. It is cool. That is cool. Cameron, we're at uh, an hour eight. Cool. I know you want to talk about Billy the Kid, right? Eh, it's fine. It's fine? Yeah. I think that sums up sort of our thoughts on, on the Wild West. There's so much. Oh, Please, yeah. guys, do yourself a favor. It's really one of my favorite eras to talk about and think about. You know? Go, I mean, go watch some movies, go watch some Westerns, or go read about some of these stories. Mm. I honestly think that some of the old Western movies that I've watched are more boring than the history you can read <laughs> online about some of these characters. It's just, it, there is something viciously poetic about it. I know I've said that a few times on this episode, but it's like crazy to think that that was real. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And maybe you don't get that same sense when you're watching fictionalized versions of the movies, but you know, Cameron, you're a movie guy. Yeah. Let's talk about some Westerns that you could watch if you're feeling in a Western move. Obviously, if you like video games and you like Westerns, go play Call of Juarez. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> go uh, go, <laughs> go play uh, Red Dead Redemption uh, 2, specifically. Call of Juarez. <laughs> um, or Red Dead Redemption 1. It has an age as well, but Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, definitely. Crazy. Definitely. How much would you pay for, for them to... to just remake $60 Red Dead Re- oh, 1 yeah. in Red Dead 2 yeah $60 oh 100% definitely so I mean I would yeah yeah I'd love it anyways um, let's talk about some movies though yeah to- Tombstone we talked about what Tombstone is about if you had seen the movie you might be like dang I already know what's gonna happen Go but, no watch watch it it's fun it's, it's really a, good it's a good it, it's a good modern western yes um, also I mean this is this is kind of it's a different style of western, but if you're if you're looking for something more modern, Hateful Eight is is pretty good. It's you know it's a you know you're just eating your own words, Cameron. It's an interesting. Cameron and I had movie. a conversation. You know, we were talking about the Tarantino film a couple weeks back, and Cameron's like, "Hateful Eight's just okay. Yes, it's gross. Okay, Tarantino movies are gross. You watched <laughs> it again, didn't you? 
yeah it's, pre- I did. it's pretty freaking awesome it is it is very entertaining yeah, yeah. it's really good so it still has the same problems that i said earlier but um it's very good uh and i would watch the um the the dollars trilogy um start with a fistful of dollars but um i think they're some of the best um i i, I really think they're some of the best westerns ever made um as well as i would i would um I would watch Once Upon a Time um, in the West. Those are those are my picks. I would say I've never seen Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah, it's good. It's gonna be slow for me. Um, no, it it's good. All right. Did you watch? Have you watched um, like Fistful of Dollars nope. and uh, Good, Bad, and the Ugly? I have not watched hardly any westerns. The Good, the Bad, the Ugly is a is a hard one to recommend because it is slow. But I think it's absolutely incredible. It's like so, so well made. Um, yeah, I'd watch that movie. For sure. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up with that. Again, we encourage you guys to go check out some history of the Wild West yourself. I recommend reading encyclopedias, but we kind of give you a blanket overview. Check out like stories about the actual Western gangs or Western heists or... Okay, also... I, I forgot to mention this, but watch some John Ford movies specifically because Wyatt Earp very frequently went on the set of of John Ford's movies and consulted. That's so, pretty awesome. Pretty cool. Yeah. Like, The Searchers is good. Um, you know, they, they don't... They, I don't want to say they don't age well, but they are definitely more of the slower, more romanticized version of the West. You gotta, you gotta walk in knowing. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, for that's, sure. That's for sure. All right, guys. Well, we will see you next week. Um, we're actually going to record the next podcast. And Cameron, actually, you have some news. Something at the end. We were talking about you not leaving. Oh, I'm not leaving. Yeah. You're yeah. not leaving as soon as we thought. No. So, not yet. Not close. Darren, that's for you. <laughs> no more stress for you. The show will go on for as long as it can. <laughs> we will put it at that. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening. Everything Comes From Something is currently 100% fan-funded by listeners like you, and we wanted to shout out our executive producers, Darren O'Neill and Eric and Ariel Walk. Thank you guys for supporting the show at the highest level. If you want to support Everything Comes From Something, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash ecfspodcast, where you can give a couple bucks our way and get access to our exclusive monthly podcast that is released at the end of the month on the platform through an RSS feed. If you don't have a few dollars... Again, tell a friend, tell some family about the podcast. That is how a show like this grows, and you can give us a rating on iTunes. We appreciate you guys so much, and we will see you next week.